Hi there, and welcome back to another edition of Built to Sell Radio, the podcast designed to help you punch above your weight in a negotiation to sell your company. I'm the executive producer of the podcast, Colin Morgan. And as you know, these days, there's a gold rush happening in artificial intelligence with AI companies trading at speculative multiples. But it wasn't that long ago that the industry attracting huge multiples was cannabis. And our next guest, Basim Hanna, rode the wave of excitement in the marijuana industry to perfection. Walking away from the company he co-founded with $25 million in cash while holding on to shares in his former company that could be worth twice as much one day. Please note, you'll hear some salty language during today's episode, but buckle up. Today's story is an absolute roller coaster, and I hope you enjoy today's conversation with Bassam Hanna. Enjoy. Bassam Hanna, welcome to Bookstore Radio. Thanks, John. Thank you so much for having me. How did you get into the weed business? That's what I want to know. <laughs> oh, man. Well, beyond my, uh, uh, my love for it in university. Um, so I, I, the story is actually quite interesting. Um, uh, maybe I'll give you a bit of history just like as to yeah, please. What, what happened. And, and so uh, from, from a schooling perspective, I went to I, I did an undergraduate business degree at Western at the Rich Ivy School of Business. Um, I graduated and I went straight into management consulting at BCG, uh, worked in their UK office, um, realized very quickly that management consulting is an excellent profession that requires top tier talent, which I was not suited for. Um, <laughs> and then I, and then I made a, a more life or realistic jump to say what I really want to do is I want to, when I was. Growing up, maybe backtracking more. Growing up, I didn't come from a lot of money. So money was a very big motivator for me in like really everything that I did. Um, that's both a good and a bad, as I'm sure anybody who has gone through that journey will know. Um, and I came to the conclusion after management consulting, I'm like the richest people that I know own real estate and they get distributed cash flows every month from real estate. And I know we're talking about cannabis, but it, they all connect. Um, so I went into real estate right after my stint at BCG. I got a really entry level job at a very good company called First Capital Realty. I was in their acquisitions and development team, um, for about two and a half years. Um, grew up in that industry, loved it, had great mentors in that company. Then I actually went on and I, at 24, I quit that job and I tried to start my own real estate fund. Um, did not work out because I didn't know everything I needed to know. Uh, story for another day. Went back to real estate and worked for a private equity shop called the Rose Corporation for another two years. Rounded out the skills that I didn't have leaving First Cap. Um, and then in 2011, I started my own real estate fund, raising money from um, family and friends um, and just trying to uh, grow our community's kind of legacy or generational wealth. Um, I'm a Coptic Christian Egyptian. Um, we are all very much first generation immigrants. Like my parents and I came to Canada when I was five years old. Um, and most Coptic Christian Egyptians kind of immigrated to Canada in like the late mid eighties, early nineties and onwards. Right. So, um, we don't have like that legacy. I had a grandfather who built this and did that and whatever. That's not our story. Um, so the vision on my end when I was younger and still to this day is, well, no one's going to do this for us. We got to pool our money together. We got to get organized and we got to start doing bigger things together than we could do alone. 
Um, and that was really my guiding principle into starting Almega, which is my real estate fund. Um, and the purpose was to buy income producing assets that we could renovate and hold for long-term cash flow. So in 2011, we bought our first building. That was a nine unit apartment building. Then we bought a 12 unit apartment building, then a 20 unit apartment building and on and on and on. Um, and, and thankfully it was just because we were working really hard and we were, and we were, we were working that business to a point where more people started to believe in us. Word of mouth was a really good thing for us. Um, and then in 2013, we start, I was like, okay, we've done really well in apartments. We own like 50, 60 units now. And we've, we've gone through a bunch of renovation cycles. Um, and like, it's time for us to get into a different asset class of real estate. And I want to get into self-storage. So I bought an industrial building, a vacant industrial building in Mississauga, where I'm from, uh, 70,000 square feet. And the purpose was to convert it to self-storage. During my closing dinner for that with my lawyers, as most people know, if you buy a property and you spend a lot on legals, they tend to take you out for a really fancy dinner. Um, so during that dinner, I was asking my lawyer, I'm like, hey, what does your husband do for a living? Just casual conversation. She's, and she's like, actually, he just quit his job and he's getting into medical cannabis. This is August 2013. And I was like, like, like everything in my business school slash case studies slash like consult. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, what is this? Like, if they're going to legalize cannabis, it's going to be, I want to be a first mover. I want to get in there. What, like, at this time, I'm 26, 27. And everybody is telling me I'm too young to do anything major. And boss, just, just, just orient me here and our listeners, most of whom are in the United States, where state by state, you know, cannabis is legal in some and not in others. So in 2013 in Ontario, is cannabis, I think it's it's maybe legal for medical purposes, but not recreational. Have I got that right? A timeline? Just give me the sense. Uh, not not quite. So it, it, in 2013, they announced a federal medical legalization program. So like, so countrywide, not, okay. not province-wide, um, that was going to be, that was going to kick in in April, 2014. So we heard about something that was happening nine months later. And, and so I like all of my spidey senses started tingling and I'm like, Oh my gosh, like I think this is something really cool. And the beauty about the business that we built up to that point in real estate is it's income producing, it's cash flowing, but it's passive. Like, unless I'm going out and I'm buying new real estate and I'm growing the business, it doesn't really require that much of my time, uh, outside of property management day to day. So I, I talk to my wife and I read the legislation. I read my, I read the legislation or the proposed legislation for cannabis. Like I, I literally went home from that meeting and it was the only thing I could think about or that closing there is the only thing I could think about. It was like nonstop replaying in my head. And so I'm like, okay, I got to see what's going on. So I like, and I'm not this guy. I Google, I'm like, uh, like proposed legalization of medical cannabis. And I get this like draft legislation. And so I read the legislation again, also something I don't normally do. Um, and, and I'm like, holy smokes, like this is going to happen. And then the, like the, the obvious comparisons start to kick in. I'm like, this is like the Bacardi family or the Smirnoff family in the early twenties when prohibition ended. And you just got to like, I'm like, I just want to get in there and, and like be first mover and I'll figure it out. Like, you know, I think I've got a good enough head on my shoulders. I can surround myself with the right people. So let's, let's try. So I, first thing I do is I'm like, okay, well, let's talk about distribution. I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty low level, you know, analyst associate. Now I just started my own business. 
Um, but I don't have connects like that. But so I call one of my my investors in my real estate fund, whose family supported me from the very beginning. Um, and I'm like, hey, I want to get into this space. They're they're in the pharmacy business, the retail pharmacy business. And I was for sure thinking that medical cannabis was going to get distributed like every other drug in a pharmacy. So I'm like, would you consider doing this with me? And then maybe we can have like a distribution platform through your stores. Um, and, and the the son, the who's my co-founder in Terrasan, uh, Michael Nashit, he he's like absolutely like uh, we, he asks. We start brainstorming and going back and forth and asking these questions to each other, seeing if we can pull pools. And we're like, you know what? Like there's, this could work. Um, and then he's like, but we're going to need somebody on the government relations side. And neither of us had that. And so we called, he had a friend named Vijay Sapani who became our third co-founder. So the three of us in, in January, 2024, we each put like $50,000 into a bank account. Um, and we said, this is going to be our seed capital. And we're going to go ahead and try to start this business. How do you guys divvy up the equity among the three of you? Just a third, a third, a third? Yeah, exactly. Just a third, a third, a third. Um, and, uh, we used the building that we had just purchased that industrial building that was going to be turned to self storage. We said, well, this could be an excellent location to put the address for this, for this proposed cannabis production facility. Um, the way that the license, just as a FYI to the, to the listeners, the way that the, the licenses worked in the beginning was you had to be seed to sale. You had to be full operational. So you had to grow the plant, manufacture it, process it, package it, sell it, ship it. That's how totally all, vertically integrated, full vertical integration. Wow. No. And the security was out of this world. Um, so we're like, okay, well, let's use our facility. Um, and in the application process, the, the, the biggest hurdle that everybody had was you had to have a city that would approve your use. Like your, your local city had to approve the fact that you were going to be doing medical cannabis and you had to have a landlord or you had to own the building that, and they would have to approve it as well. So because we own the building, that was easy. Um, with the city stuff, the city of Mississauga is, is, is the second or third largest city in Canada. Um, we grew up here, myself and Michael grew up here, um, and we had a good relationship with Hazel McCallion, who was the mayor at the time. Um, she's a, just for those who don't know, she's a longstanding mayor. She's probably like in 900 my, years old. Yeah. She's, she's like the best mayor ever. <laughs> um, and, and so we went into her office and we're like, um, Hazel, listen, like here's, here's, and we like wrote a business plan for her. We're like, here's what we want to do this, this, this. But like our great limiting step is going to be that we need this to get approved at council. And like, unless we like, so we're asking you first. So she sits us down, Mike and I in her room and she knows us. She's known us since we were kids. And she's like, boys, I want to tell you something. She's like, I hate cannabis. I don't like drugs, but I trust you to do it professionally. Make sure you employ people from Mississauga and pay your taxes and I'll approve you. And she gave us a site specific exemption for our site to allow us to go ahead and do this. Wait, how did you get to know the mayor? You said you knew her from when you were a yeah. kid. <laughs> it's actually through church, if you can believe it. Our, our um, Hazel was such an active mayor in our city. Um, so she would show up at every Christmas, every Easter, every event, every whatever. So she'd recognize you. And we, and I've been going to that really? church since I was like five or six. So she knows who we are. Like she, maybe she doesn't know exactly who we are. She's like, I've seen you grow up. 
Um, so that's wild. And again, for my listeners, Hazel McCallion is this larger than life figure. She was mayor <laughs> of Mississauga for literally decades upon decades upon decades. I think she's now retired. She's, she, yeah, she passed away in her late 90s. I think she was in hundreds, her 90s. Her, she was still in her 90s <laughs> as the mayor of this city. It's like an yeah. unbelievable story. And she was able to. So, again, if you haven't, if you're not from Mississauga, you don't know the story of Hazel McCallion. She's an incredible. Uh, lady who engendered an incredible loyalty. So keep going. This is, uh, yeah. this is amazing. So, so, so uh, Hazel yeah. kind of slaps you on the wrist and says, okay, but if you're going to do it, you, you know, pay your taxes and I'll support you. So, <laughs> so that was like the, that's when we knew we had something. Um, so then we, so 2014, we make the application now that we've got all of our eyes crossed, our eyes dotted and T's crossed. Um, and then we go into like limbo. Like we make the application and Health Canada, it, they don't respond to you. There's no phone call. There's no emails. There's not, there's not, you can't do anything. We even actually, we flew down to Ottawa to just like try to knock on a door to see if somebody like, Hey, have you even received our application? So 2014 goes on by. We don't hear anything except for like, we've acknowledged that we've received your application. Fantastic. 2015 goes by nothing. What are you guys doing for money during this time? Literally bleeding cash. And the only way that I could, I could get our investors behind us using this facility for canvas when I said, okay, we're going to rent it out personally, instead of using it as self storage, we're going to rent it out personally. And we will pay you the returns as if it was being operated as self storage. So we're paying oh, right. rent into this thing every month to our investors. Um, Cause you didn't have, you didn't buy the 70,000 square foot facility with your own cash. You, you, no. you had investors and that you were promising them a return. We're going to rent it out as self storage. And so they're expecting checks. And, yeah, and so we, had to give it to like, we, don't, we don't have a choice. We, we gave it to them. So that 50000 that we each put in, it bled like within the first four months of us coming in. Yeah. Um, and then I started asking some uh, individual family and friends if they, you know, you guys want to invest 25000 seed capital, 30000 seed capital, whatever, whatever we can get just to get the rent paid. And, and because we were waiting, we, there wasn't anything to do. We knew that eventually we would have to build out a facility and that was gonna require a big equity raise. That number was $6 million. But we we're like, we're not even gonna start raising this until Health Canada gives us, in the licensing process, there was a there was a like a, a ready to build letter that you would get that says, okay, we've reviewed your application, we've done your security checks, you can go ahead and build the facility and we'll come inspect it. And if it's good, you'll get your license. But that took forever to get. So we got that in 2016. Um, and then from 2016, the world kind of went like into hyperdrive, right? Because beyond us getting our letter, the cannabis industry at large was starting to get a lot more attention. Like think in 2014, when we first set out to do this, people thought we were insane, right? Like the cannabis wasn't what it is now. It, it was like very, very taboo. And it's like, oh, you're a drug dealer. I'm like, well, I mean, yes, but like the good kind. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we, we, 2016 hits, we get our ready to build letter and we start going out to build and we raised $6 million from family and friends, right? And it was, it was probably the hardest capital we'd ever had to raise. Um, and it was just to build the uh, production room, the shipping facility, like basically like version 1.0 of our facility, which would just give us the bare minimum we need to do that vertically integrated process, one of each kind of room. So what like, kind of valuation did you put on the company at that time to, to raise the six million? Um, we did. I think we did like a six million at a like t- 
$10 million pre-money valuation. Like we diluted ourselves pretty heavy. Wow. Okay. Yeah, but we okay. needed it. It was, it was either that or zero, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, then we, uh, and then we built out the first phase of our facility, but obviously like you have to understand I was 28 now, uh, 28 turned 29. And I, um, I was tapped to be the CEO of the business strictly because Mike and VJ both had full-time jobs. And I was the most, like, I was very invested in this and I had the construction and renovation and real estate experience. So like, even if in like the first phase of this thing's life, I was going to be the guy that probably had the most experience out of the three of us to do it. So they tapped me to do, to be the CEO. So raise the capital, build out phase one of the facility. And just in terms of square footage, we built out 12,000 of our 70,000 square foot facility. The rest are just kind of sitting vacant. Um, we, so we do all of that. And then we finally get our, like, we're starting to get our inspections and approvals. And I'm like, oh crap, we ran out of money, right? Like everything is like, we, we, that 6 million was just, it was basically what our contractor said it was going to cost, not including overages or overhead or whatever it was. We're like, we'll figure that out later. Very bootstrapped. Um, we, we go through it. We start to realize we need more money, but now we have attention because if you look up who has their ready to build or who's in the licensing process, you can see, and we're really early on. So, um, I started to connect with investment bankers, um, with, with advisors, with uh, like all the accounting firms that wanted to, to work with these up and coming cannabis companies. Um, and they would start making introductions for me. One thing leads to another and we get introduced to a hedge fund, uh, who was like, okay, we're going to give you $10 million on this convertible note structure, which at the time I'd never heard of. Uh, Explain what a convertible note is. So a convertible note is basically, they're gonna give you a loan, and if you meet certain criteria, they can convert it into equity, either by their choice, or because you've met so many of the criteria that you can convert it, like you can force them to convert. Um, and normally it works like, if they convert before you force them to convert, it's at valuation X. And if you can force them to convert, you get valuation Y. So there's motivation for you to, to, to work faster to achieve the mutually agreed upon goals that you're, that you're trying to achieve. Um, and because it's a hedge fund, the hedge funds don't normally play in private markets. They typically play in private markets with the expectation that they're going to go public shortly. And because the cannabis industry was going through its, uh, you know, like crazy go public phase in 2016, early 2017, we were, we were like right place, right time, well equipped, well informed. So it all kind of like came together really nicely. So these guys gave us the money we need to give us $10 million. And the, the, they gave us the, that money in April or May of 2017. And they're like, if you get your, uh, no, sorry, they gave us that money in January, 2017. And, and they're like, if you go public, your interest rate on the, on the money will drop from 15% to 6%. So immediate motivation to go public. And then they're like, also, if you get your license from before July 31st, uh, 2017, we will, we will, uh, your company will be valued at 75 cents a share versus 50 cents a share, which is a big like delta for us. And if you trade at a certain, if you go public and you get your license and, and you trade at a certain dollar volume, I think it was like a dollar 10, 
um, for more than 10 days, then you can force convert us into equity and you have no more debt on your books. So they were really structuring this because they wanted you to go public, to become a publicly traded company. And this is well before you have any revenue, presumably, right? You're just still building it out. Yeah, we, we don't even have the ability to make revenue. We can't. Yeah, because say, like, how does a company with no revenue go public? I mean, listen, these are all great autopsy questions for why the cannabis industry imploded. Um, but we were very confident in what we could do. Um, and the one thing that we did before we started taking on serious money is we went out and we saw at that point, a few companies had started to go public. So Canopy had gone public. Um, uh, Aurora had gone public. Um, Medrelief had gone public. So we made it a point to go meet the founders and go see their facilities because we were really intimidated by these guys. Like these guys have three, four hundred, five hundred million dollar valuations on the stock market. We're like, well, how are they so different than we are? Like we're, I feel like we're in the same spot. We would go see their facilities, but oh, they're not like they're exactly where we are, maybe like one step ahead of us. So that gave us a lot of confidence to be like, well, listen, we don't know where this industry is going, but you know, one piece of advice that I was given early on is like, you, you eat while you can eat because you don't know when you don't the know. When coming. Yeah. So, so, uh, we're like, we took that confidence that we got from visiting their facilities and we're like, We'll figure it out later. And we have all of our, all of our financial models and projections said that we were going to make a crazy ton of money and yada, yada, yada. Um, so we, we, we plowed on. So it's funny. I, I got to pause here and just kind of make a personal observation. I wonder if yeah. you made something similar yourself. It, it feels very much like, uh, you know, 2024 AI where, you know, yeah. these, Early in the, in the kind of world of AR, pe people are just making these massive bets. Oh, yeah. There's no monetization yet. I mean, I guess ChatGPT is monetized to some extent, but like it's all on the future, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, what, what is AI, AI going to be in 10 years? I want to get in on the ground floor. You guys are pre-revenue and, and talking kind of $100 million valuation. This is, this is crazy. Wild, wild. And, and like um, very limited capital markets experience. Um, I run my own real estate fund before, but outside of that, I, I, I had no executive level experience. Um, so really trial by fire. Uh, but it was a crazy time. And we were like, if they can do it, we can do it. So let's just keep going. Uh, so uh, to, to give you like the most important chronology, um, we agreed to take the money from the hedge fund in like, say, January of 2017, 20. Uh, March 2017, um, we take the company public strictly because I want to reduce their debt load on us because that, that burn killed us. Right, 15 uh, to 6%. Yeah, on 10 million bucks, right? So it, yeah. it's, if not nothing for a very small company. Uh, then we get our license and we, we get our preliminary license in like mid July. So we meet that criteria. And we force convert, and then our stock pops a little bit, and we force convert them in August. So that that was like a very fast, hard and fast life lessons learned galore um, in those six months. And then we uh, in so August when you force convert, just so I understand this, and this is probably going beyond my pay grade, but when know. when you take ten million dollars of debt. Mm -hmm. um, 
and then you force convert, meaning they have to convert that to equity. Yeah. They're buying that equity. Are you issuing new shares or are they buying it uh, from the shareholders? Dilution. We're issuing new shares. It's at, it's at the company's option because we could pay the debt down and, res- and save the shares. But in our mind, we're a pre-revenue company and they're giving us like a you know, 70, 60, $70 million valuation at 75 cents. We're like, just like do it. Um, and we talked to our, we had, we had a, thank, thank goodness. We had really, really good board members. Um, we had the, the chief of, of staff and head of cardiology at, uh, Dr. Gopal Bhatnaga at, at Trillium. Um, we had the former CFO of, of Loblaws. Um, we, it was, it was like that. I can honestly tell you that at those critical moments, the advice that they gave us was so profound to like young entrepreneurs that, like forever, like we will be forever. How did you get those big hitters on your board? Um, word of mouth and connection, right? Like the, at that time, the, the, the canvas world was attracting everybody, right? And everybody kind of wanted their piece. Again, like think like 2024 AI. If like, if, if what you think is an up and coming AI company is like, Hey, you want to sit on our board and everything kind of checks out? You're like, ah, yeah, sure. I'll throw my name on there. Um, and it was, it, I think the relationships are great. We still talk to every single one of our board members and they're fantastic. We love them. So were you down? I mean, I, I'm, I'm just doing the math here. So you, 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 the friends and family raise at a $10 million valuation, then the, the 10 million gets converted. Like, are you got you and Michael and VJ, are you down to single digits at this point? Or are you still no, able to- No, sorry, you, you just reminded me. This was, so we did the 6 million at an $18 million valuation. It was a third of our company. And then we okay. did, and then we did the, the hedge fund money at, it ended up being at a $60 million convert. Um, at that point, I think VJ, Mike, and I still own like a third of the business collectively, or maybe just oh, okay. over a third. Yep. Um, so we're, we're still sitting pretty healthy. We're on paper. We now look like we're millionaires, which was something I was very new and nice to feel. Um, although you can't really monetize that, so it didn't matter. Uh, and then... In August, so like the craziest part, and this is, I guess, the, the, the thing that, that I, I, I believe the listeners here would really appreciate is like that sales process. So we get to August, we've just kind of like climbed the mountain and then our CFO comes out to me and, and she's like, we're going to run out of money in a month. I'm like, come on, like again, like <laughs> we just did this. Um, and, and, but the, the, the industry is moving really quickly and our stock is, is starting to pick up some momentum. And so I'm like, okay, I, I'm like, I want to go out and I want to raise a big amount of money. I'm going to raise like 25 million bucks so that we don't have to worry about cash anymore. We now, we have, we now have like what we're, we were the 51st license in Canada. Um, and we were probably like the 10th public company. So we were pretty early days. Uh, and we had a reputation and we're, like we went to all the conferences and we did the, the, the whole schmoozy thing. Um, so I'm like, I think we can do this. So we go out and we try to raise capital. And again, through one of our mutual connections, uh, the, we, they introduced us to this U.S. private equity firm led by a gentleman named Jason Wild, who'd been doing a lot of um, passive investments in cannabis, and he'd done extremely well. Um, but his criticism was uh, one that we shared, which was, this is this is going to be way bigger in the U S than it is in Canada. And the Canadian operators aren't really running it 
the way that U.S. operators would run it. And not not take anything away from Canadian operators. I'm a Canadian operator. Um, but he was very... It's like he almost like saw a little bit into the future to be like, okay, after the hype is gone, we're going to need to make some money. So like, let's start focusing on that, which was very aligned with what we were talking about at the time. So I meet him on November 9th for the first time. He flies down from New York to, to come see us. Uh, and I know in the back of my mind, if we get to the end of November, we're out of cash. So I'm, I'm you, like, to be clear, you're not selling any weed yet. It's still we have produced weed, and we've probably like maybe made our first shipment out the door. But like, okay. it's not like we we might have made you know a, a couple thousand dollars every month. Not like the revenue was not there. Okay, um, hence why you're running out of money. Hence why we're running out of money, and we're, yeah. and we're hiring like crazy, right? This is all again. We were we were one of the first ones out the door, so none of the automation had been there. None of the processes were intact. We would make mistakes, and we wouldn't know we made it for like a month or two until like the plans came out. We'd be like, why do these look weird? And then we'd have to like start all over. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's November like, If you can stomach it, it's amazing. It's just it's painful when you've got like a gun to your head, like from from a money perspective. So I meet Jason on November 9th. He comes to the facility. We talk to him. We 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 hit it off. He actually hit it off way better with my partner, Michael Nashit, because they're both pharmacists and they're really like science together. So it was it was it was like a match made in heaven. Um and and so November 9th, I we meet, we talk about it. Um and just as a sidetrack. Mike, VJ, and I separately, along with our board, we knew that Canada was going to become oversaturated. I th- we knew it was early days and there was still, there was still recreational cannabis coming, but we're like, if we did the math properly, all the analyst reports were like, you need a million kilos of cannabis to serve the, the Canadian market. And we were produce, and we were on track as a market to produce 10 million kilos. Wow. So we knew that this thing was going to crash, but we're like, but the U.S. doesn't look like that. So we're like, we want to take money from here. And take a public platform and go start doing things in the US. So when Jason came, it was like very serendipitous. So we started talking about this and he has the exact same point of view that we do, like, but probably even more thought out. So he calls me, we meet on November 9th. We walk him through our plan. We give him the tour of the facility. He meets VJ, Mike, and myself. Everything is good. Gets back home, calls me at like 11 o'clock on November 9th. And he's like, Hey, I like you guys. We're in. I'm like, we're in. I'm like, bro, I just met you. And he's like, I'm like, okay, cool. Like, how much are you gonna be in for? Like, I'm thinking like he's gonna put like a million dollars, two million dollars. Like, he's like, he's like, I'm gonna put in 25 million bucks. I'm like, I'm like, deal. I'm like, on the spot. I'm like, let's go. <laughs> okay, but but at what valuation and what dilution did you guys have to take on that? We we had agreed on a dollar a share. So so um let let me tell you things in price per share. The yeah. first round that we did, family of friends, is roughly 25 cents a share. Um, we converted uh, the hedge fund at 75 cents a share. He was coming in at a buck five a share. And, but it, like the conversion to him coming in was like a couple months. So just the fact that we were showing that much appreciation was great. All of our founding investors, seed investors, not our founding, our seed investors were getting a 4X multiple. Like, the, like we, we knew we were doing well on the valuation side. And at a dollar five a share, there was 40 million, there was, 40 million in, in the till, uh, or like 40 million issued and outstanding. It was roughly 80 million total share. So we were at like an 80, $85 million valuation all in, fully done. And again, uh, you issued new shares in order to sell the, the 
$25 million. Correct. So the, the, the concept was going to be that, um, he, because he wasn't, he wasn't, this wasn't a change of control transaction. We still own, Mike Vijay and I still had enough to control the shares between us and our founding, like that first $6 million worth of shares that we sold. We still had more than 50% of the company. So we knew we were good. Um, the high watermark in terms of us giving up control was us, was as if it, it was, would have been if I issued $40 million worth of shares at that 105 valuation. So I, I get on the phone with him. I, I'm like, let me just call you back real quick. I call Mike and VJ. We have like an emergency board session. I'm like, hey guys, this is the deal on the table. And this is like 11 o'clock on the day that I met him. And he's like, and so I'm like, okay, we're cool. Like, and like, it's hilarious. He's like, like, it's easy to get Mike and VJ on the phone, but it's not that easy to get like uh, Rick or Gopal on the phone or two other board members. Uh, but they were there for us. So we're, we're appreciative. Um, so I call him back. I'm like, deal, we're in. Calls me back the next day, November 10th. And he's like, hey, change, something's, something's changed. I'm like, of course, too good to be true. He's like, um, I need to tell you something. I, in the background, I was doing a deal. I like Canopy had wanted to do a deal with me. Um, this is like when Canopy was still like, like uh, King of the Hill. Yeah, it's uh, for our listeners. Canopy is one of the pioneering companies in the in the cannabis space in Canada, where they check your uh, stock. Yeah, <laughs> let's just say that. Yeah, check it out on. Uh, uh, at one point, they were worth like fifteen billion dollars, but that's not it anymore. Yeah, um, and so he's like, Canopy wants to do this deal with me, and when I told him I was doing this, I can't like be active on both. Um, and I'm like, okay, oh, great. Here comes the bomb. He's like, he's like, so Canopy's going to come invest with me in your company. I'm like, um, and in my mind, I'm just thinking, I'm like, think about the press release that I'm about that. Like if this goes through, it's like, we took down probably the largest non-broker private placement in cannabis. And it's coming from like the two most prolific private and public entities in the space. I'm like, I'm like, like, I don't know what I did in the past life, but like God is like really like shining down on us. So thank you. Um, so, and again, he's below my $40 million change of control criteria. And explain that, to, explain that I need to understand. So the, the 6 million that you raised friends and family. So these are literally friends and family of yours where you are controlling their voting effectively. Like you, if you say, look, let's vote for this, it's rubber stamped. Okay, so yeah, they'll, they'll, right? we, we would all vote in a pack. They, they were, they were investing in either VJ, Mike or myself. It had nothing to do with cannabis whatsoever. So they were following our lead regardless of what we did. Not that they're like, like we still have to explain to them and tell them sure. why we're doing what we're doing, but um, they, they were very supportive of us in terms of like voting their shares our way. Uh, and so, I, I hear this $35 million. He's like, we're going to come in for 35 million bucks. I'm like, I'm like, honestly, whatever. Like, that's fine. Um, and then, so we hang up the phone. I'm like, I'm like, but I'm like, my only condition is going to be, I need to finish this deal by November 15th. November 15th was a big day because uh, there's a big cannabis conference in Vegas that everybody goes to, or everybody did go to back then. And I knew that if we got to that conference without having a deal and we were in like a weird confidentiality phase, we wouldn't be able to act properly at the cons at the conference and we might lose momentum because everybody like pre and post conference things might change. So I'm like, I need to get this done by the 15th. So, I'm, so I told them, I'm like, we will do your deal, but you need to be, we need to have paper signed, fully binding paper signed by the 15th. So four days. Um, what was Jason's reaction to that? I, <laughs> he said, let's go. <laughs> 
because it was a simple transaction that we'd done before. It's not like we had to recreate paperwork. We were just issuing new shares of an existing company. It wasn't, we weren't creating a second class. We weren't, it, it was a relatively easy transaction to do in comparison to ones that we had done before very recently. Uh, so he's like, he's like, okay, let me talk to my people. He calls me back. He's like, okay, we're in. I'm like, great. The 12th, he calls me back. He's like, he's like, I hate to do this, man, but I got some news. I'm like, what? It's like, I'm like, guy, you play with my emotions. Uh, and so he's like, uh, when Canopy and I told Canopy Rivers, which was a, which was a joint venture that they'd made together, uh, like an investing arm that Canopy and Jason Wilde had built together, found out that we were doing this. They want to be in on the deal too. Um, so now we want to put in more money, but this is going to change. So I'm like, okay, what, how much do you guys want to put in? They're like, we want to put in $52.5 million. And I'm like, I'm like, that's a big number. But immediately I knew that they wanted control. So I asked him, I'm like, you guys are going to be taking control of the company. He's like, yeah, but we don't want to change anything. We want you guys to continue to run it. Just like, we just want to have the final say. If we're going to put this much money in our names and our reputations behind it, we want to have a little bit more control. That's when like, the the ego and the like confusion parts of of selling a business that you've created or that you're you're on the path to creating um started to kick in for me because although i knew that we would even if we kept our management positions we weren't going to be in the driver's seat and these are very uh strong-willed opinionated people that we were, we we're getting into bed with and we have to be able to like put our egos down and say, okay, we're going to listen to what you say, even if it's not what we agree with. Not that that was ever the case, but learning to accept that and to just ultimately like sell your business. That was a big thing for me personally. Um, so we had another emergency board session, um, this time in person. And I'll never forget it. Um, the, the two non-management board members, Rick and Gopal, um, Rick took me aside and he's like, listen, I know what you're probably feeling. Um, and that like, you think you can take this on alone or that you're going to raise this capital, but like you have to make a very clear distinction to separate your emotions and what's good for Bassam versus what's good for your shareholders. And, and like, depending on the decision that you make, your life and your relationship with your people, with the people that you brought into this thing will change for, for better or worse. Right. And no, I wasn't seeing what, what could possibly the decision was to accept the $52 million investment, mm -hmm. issue more shares, dilute yourselves from the controlling position. Correct. Um, or not do the deal. And so what was he sort of pointing out? What was the, did he think there was a conflict of interest between what was good for you and what was good for your shareholders? I don't, I'm not, I'm not clear. So the, the, that's a great question. The, the piece that I, I, I forgot to mention was that we had a second, at that point, we'd had a secondary deal because we were, that wasn't the only deal we were working on. It was actually very much like a dark force deal that we've been working on. What we'd actually been trying to do was work with investment bankers to raise $25 million by getting into uh, long-term manufacturing agreements with some of the bigger players in the industry who could then fund our growth. But we would then be a, like a subsidiary of others, but we'd still be in control and we'd still have our own thing. So just like two very different paths to take. Um, and one would leave us in control and, and, and would allow us to be like the masters of our own domain. Uh, and whereas the other one, we were going to take on some very sophisticated senior partners um, who had a 
aligned but specific goal for how they want to see this business grow. And, uh, and Rick and Gopal, were, were, did they have a point of view on which option you should choose? Um, I, I think we all knew that we we should pick the one where we were getting equity and credibility and notoriety, which was the doing the Jason Canopy deal. Um, so, but they were very respectful in letting us come to our own decisions. They're like, we, they, they will, they're like, we'll support you guys with whatever you do, but you need to understand, like, this is what it looks like from this end. This is what it looks like from this end. And like being able to have somebody take you out of, uh, your, your mindset, especially in those like five days, I can't say I was myself. You know, like I have a million things flying through my mind. I, I'm not 100% sure I'm making the right decision, but I know whatever decision I'm going to make is going to change my life or change not just my life, like our lives as founders, our investors' lives and the company's like path forward. Um, so, Basim, let me just see if I understand as well. Um, what is the deal for you guys? Because again, at this point, you're, you're still controlling... Uh, around 10% of the company, but mm -hmm. presumably if you go to sell this 52 million now- Down to like 5%. What's that? We're, we'd be down to like 5%. Down to 5%, um, but you're not getting cash. This is issuing new shares, so there's not a secondary involved. You're now just a minority shareholder effectively in this publicly traded entity that's now controlled by this high-flying guy named Jason and Canopy and mm -hmm. like it not, So what was the deal that was on the table for you guys? Were you able to sell any of your shares or did they want to buy any of them or what was that like? I mean, the, the one thing that we did negotiate for ourselves was like, if we're going to go change your control and we don't see eye to eye, we're not going to lock ourselves into like uh, management agreements or like, like if we quit, we can start selling the next day. And so, so that, you, that it was, was required that you quit. Pardon? It was required that you quit in order to sell your shares. If you were an employee, you couldn't sell. I mean, you could, but then you have to file insider reporting. And then that usually has a very negative effect on your stock. So uh, like the general understanding was if you're going to sell, let's do it or in an orderly fashion. We'll have a good exit and then you can go sell whatever you need to do. But that wasn't really on our mind because the stock was still trading at like before we did the deal. And this is kind of the crazy part. Before we did the deal, the stock was trading around like a dollar. Right. And so, um, and then literally the day we announced the deal. So long story short, on, we end up doing the deal with them, $52.5 million. It becomes the largest non-broker private placement in cannabis. Um, still probably top three in the industry today. Uh, and we, um, and we, we, the day, and we did it on November 15th. We, and the, th the funny thing was just the way the timing worked. We, I like pressed send on the press release to get it released. And then we boarded a plane to Vegas with all of our industry peers, right? <laughs> so we all land and our phones are starting to blow up with the press release. And we, we didn't know that that was going to happen. So like I'm sitting in my, I think I might have been sleeping because I was tired. And like people are like tapping me on the shoulder, like, dude, that's the craziest thing, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'm like, well, how do you guys know this? I'm like, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> Um, so we, we do that deal. It was like the best version of that Vegas trip that we could have taken. Um, and then, and then from there, like the real work started of like implementing it and integrating a business where we don't have, uh, control anymore. Um, anecdotally, we were trading at a buck. The minute that that got press released, the next day that it opened for trading, it went to like $3 immediately. 
um, on its way up to over the lot, the lot, the like, it very systematically went up from there over like a 18 month period to like something like 18 bucks a share. Wow. Yeah. So we, so my 5% and that when it was 18 bucks, it was probably a $2 billion company. Um, now the company, and this is a lot of credit to like Jason and his team, not a lot, all the credit to Jason and his team because they basically moved our focus into the US. And we helped them transition the business and the operations as much as we could into that US component because the US was still coming online. Um, and we, uh, I think the company does like over $300 million US USD in revenue now and its margins are like 50%. So um, we are a top five global cannabis producer. Um, I don't say this facetiously, but we do have more revenues than Canopy or any other Canadian operator, um, which is kind of like an ironic twist of how this all went down. Uh, and then from November 15th until probably November 15th, the following year, um, what we realized really quickly is that I'm, I was probably not the best person to run the business from, from that point onwards. Um, but Mike was right. And Mike, Mike is, uh, Mike was more technically focused. Um, he had a much better eye for regulations, um, especially because we we're going state to state and he had U.S. experience in the pharmacy industry. Uh, and, and again, like him and Jason were like, like really tight. So I sat on the board for a year. I transitioned everything that I could. And then I, 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 uh, you know, respectfully bowed out of the board to allow myself to start selling some of my shares. Um, and then I sold, I just very, very quietly and like, uh, uneventfully sold, um, a portion of my position, um, to allow myself and my family to, Kind of level up a little bit we we didn't like i said we didn't really come from money so this was like a very big life-changing experience for me and for us um and then and then i went back into real estate doing full-blown development um i now i build apartment buildings and, and condo buildings and so how much of your shares have you sold now like like do you still I, like of all the shares you had what proportion have you sold versus retained yeah i sold like two-thirds of my of my position um I will say, I know most people will ask me this anyways, and it's taboo to talk about money, but I'm happy to share because this is a learning experience for anybody that, that wants to go through something like this. Um, we, I personally sold that two thirds for probably north of, I don't know, let's say like 25 million bucks. Wow. Yeah. So, but I still got a third. The cannabis stocks are in the shits right now. So like I have no intention of selling, but the, the intention was always to sell two thirds to, you know, take care of my family, relaunch my real estate business in a much larger version than, than the one I, I left it. Um, before we were doing, you know, tens and twenties of units at a time. Now we're doing like we have four towers and 1500 units under construction. So, and we do ground up to construction. So it's a completely different world. Um, and then the, and then the last bit was going to be held until us legalization, which is still kind of the, the strategy. Um, we think that the, that the market in general and where TerraSend is positioned specifically, um, I think there's going to be a few days where we might go north of 20. And then if I, if they do do that right, that last third will be probably worth double what I, what I, uh, 
what I sold the first two thirds for. Wouldn't that be an amazing, uh, ironic twist? What a story! I, uh, I, I, it's incredible. Uh, again, uh, just given timing and the work that you did to get to get uh, in a position to be successful, it's, it's incredible. Are you up for a quick lightning round before I let you go? Yeah, let's go. <laughs> okay, so you've raised a truckload of money from different sources and different people. What was the slimiest trick? An investor or acquirer tried to play on you. Um, the slimiest trick. This we didn't accept this, but um, uh, somebody tried to sneak into the paperwork when on a deal that didn't go through um, that their shares would be worth like ten to one of ours um, uh, off of like some weird trigger, and it was only because our lawyers caught it. But it was never in the term sheet. It was never in anything, and. It was like a real, like, I need to take a bath after I have this conversation with you kind of person. So um, th that was like the cheesiest thing that somebody's ever done. So like, yeah, I, I, would, I would say that uh, a lesson I learned there was read every single document, regardless how boring it is, because once you sign, it's really hard to take back. Yeah. What a great, what a great lesson in the sleazy trick. Um, what was the biggest mistake you made during the the sale process? And so I'll I'll have you narrow down on terms of like the Jason deal, uh, the change of control, like that period. If you had a, a mulligan, a do over, what would you do differently during that period? Um, thankfully, that whole experience went really well, um, so I don't have a lot of regrets from there. Um, I would say the thing I would do differently uh, with with hindsight as experience mm -hmm. is I would have a I would want to have a conversation with myself to manage my own expectation because the one thing that did happen after I did that was um, unpopular conversation here, but I went through depression uh, mm -hmm. because I I sold something that defined me and I didn't have a purpose for a few months or like the better part of a year after I sold it. Um, I would have loved to have given myself advice to like be kinder to myself through and after this process. Um, and th that's something that I, it was a really good learning experience, um, but it, it was painful and, it, and like as most growth is. So I would have liked to have managed my own expectations as to what that is and to control your ego. Some people listening maybe really surprised to hear you say that in the sense that you know, this is an unbelievable financial outcome given the circumstances. Um, help them square how, how you became depressed after, after selling for such an incredible amount of money. Um, yeah. In my experience, I've built three businesses up to this point in my life, in my experience, for any business to take off successfully financially or to have any kind of success whatsoever, it takes a piece of you, right? It really does. You really do have to put blood, sweat and tears. You're not going to phone it in and it's going to become successful. The odds of that happening are zero, next to zero. Um, and so something I was working at, you know, 18, 20 hour days, seven days a week, nonstop thinking about live, breathe, died, stressed it, like had back problems because of it, like all, all of that. Um, and then one day it's there, it's yours. And the next day it's like, buddy, like sit in the back and enjoy the ride. Uh, 
it was a really hard transition for me uh, because you go from a position of power and authority um, to not. And then you realize, and this is like a very important life lesson for me, is that it wasn't the money that I was chasing. It, it's it's like money is a part of it, but it's like money and power and respect and like and and a sense of achievement, a sense of accomplishment. So once you give all of that up, and especially because it happened so quickly in our in our story, uh, I didn't have time to adjust. I didn't have. Uh, like my advisors didn't even know to tell me like, Hey, be prepared for what's coming. Right. So that, that was, uh, it wasn't that it wasn't a great result. It was fantastic. It's just, I, 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 I put so much weight on what I thought money would do for me in my life that once I got it, I was like, I still have to live and be a good human and like support my family and be a member of a community. And so, and none of that was achieved through this, but I just spent you know, the past five years of my life and, and like, I'll, I don't know, probably took years off of my life anyways, doing it to, to, to get to this point. It, it was just a mismanagement of my own expectations as to what happens after that sale. Like after the check is in your account, whatever the, the version of your selling is, you come to this point where you're like, okay, I'm not nearly as busy as I once was. I need to rebalance my life. And that hit me all really quickly with a lot of emotion um, that took me months to process. What was the best tool for you to kind of get back on track after, after a period of depression? Was there a, a book or a course or a therapist or something that, that you... Yeah. That you, you did? yeah. Your book is actually really good for stuff like that. Um, there's also, um, the subtle art of not giving a fuck was a really good, uh, like reset in my perspective. Um, one that had nothing to do with business, but that was really good in terms of giving me perspective was, um, Sapiens. I don't know if you've ever read that book. Sure, I've heard of it, but I have not read it. Yeah. It has nothing to do with business. It's just more like to give you like a chronology of like the world. Human existence. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, and then um like reflection like like understanding that 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 this is a point in your life and that you have a lot more time to redefine what's the next thing it was it was more like i had a hard time letting go of what was to make room for what could be um so that was like but reading helped exercising helped i i i i started taking up exercising and and, and my personal health much more seriously um and then, and then having conversations with high value people, you know, people that have gone through things that I've gone through, um, or that I wanted to learn from, uh, and then finally giving back, like not making it about me. Once you realize that the world doesn't revolve around you, um, at least for me, it was a very eye opening experience to, to accept the fact that, uh, if you're in a position where God has blessed you, uh, to the point where on like Maslow's hierarchy, you're not like surviving and, and you and you, like you're in like self-actualization and like all that stuff you got like at least for me I, I felt like you have to give back like the world the world works its best when we are one like a group and we're helping each other so um those are kind of the tools that that help me overcome that Fantastic. Not notwithstanding the importance of giving back, because I, I agree that that uh, that's an important part of the equation. 
I do like to hear that people buy themselves some sort of physical trophy to commemorate the win. Please tell me you bought something. <laughs> You're covering your eyes. What did you buy or what oh, things did you buy? What category things did you buy? Um, okay. I, I, I'll start with the little one. I, I, I bought myself. I'm a huge car guy um, and I, I'm a big Fast and the Furious fan. So I bought myself the 1997 Toyota Supra, like a left-hand drive, twin turbo, target top, but it's like a whole thing. And I bought it stock and I'm over years souping it up myself. So that's that was like my little one. And then my big obnoxious one was I, I, I my wife and I built our dream home. Um, and it's not, you know, it looks like it belongs on MTV Cribs, but we love it. <laughs> <laughs> this is in Mississauga. It's in Mississauga. Nice. I was like, if, if if the only thing I got out of this was a mortgage-free house, like that would be a bonus. Thank God it, we got more than that. So we're very blessed. Um, it's just, again, like it's, I think it's a lot of like what I grew up wanting and not having um, played a very big role in what I spent my first bit of money on. Uh, but I think I've like leveled out. I'm, I'm not so into material things anymore. I've got like the, the, you do it once, twice, three times, and you're like, oh, like that feeling is like a day. It's not, it doesn't even last that long. But so experiences doing stuff, yeah. Awesome. Well, we're gonna we're gonna track down the left hand drive 1997 uh, Supra to uh, to put in the show notes because I think that's. Uh, oh, you just tell me when I'll drive it right to your place, man. Nice. <laughs> Basim, I'm so grateful for you sharing your story. It's an incredible story. One of the, the real incredible stories in cannabis. I know you've got a huge following on YouTube and LinkedIn and Instagram. We'll put all of your uh, uh, you know, coordinates in the show notes at BuiltToSell.com. Is there a, a good social platform for folks to reach out to you on? Is there, is there one that your preference? You hit me up on any one of them. I try to respond to everybody um, uh, and you'll get a response from me. It, yeah. I like to keep it social. So Instagram, LinkedIn are probably, if you want to DM me on either one of those, I'm, I'm, I'm available. And then um, our stuff, uh, my podcast is not nearly as successful as yours, but it's, it's getting there. Um, we have, we have our own podcast that, that kind of profiles entrepreneurs and like their journey. Uh, as well, but it, it's not like this. This is a very, very good tool for people that are in a very specific phase of their entrepreneurial career or their life cycle. Um, and John, I can't tell you how much like this helps. Like I, I know, like I've watched your videos before. It, it is. It's nice to know that you're not alone when you're going through stuff like this. Well, it's, that's very generous of you to say. And I, again, I can't thank you enough for sharing your story in such candor and transparency because I think people will learn from it. And uh, it's, it's a really neat story. So thanks for doing it. Thank you so much for having me. And there you have it for today's episode between Bassam and John. If you enjoyed today's podcast, then be sure to hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And if you want to help support this podcast, I'd encourage you to share this episode out with a friend or colleague. Also a reminder, if you want to watch today's full video interview between John and Bassam, be sure to visit our YouTube channel over at Built to Sell Radio. Also, if you know of someone who'd be a great fit to be a guest right here on the podcast, I'd encourage you to nominate them by heading over to builttosell.com slash nominate. There you'll have the chance to nominate yourself or someone else to be a guest right here on the show with John. For show notes, including links to everything referenced in today's podcast, 
be sure to visit Bassam's episode page over at builttosell.com. Special thanks to Dennis Labataglia for handling today's audio engineering, and thank you to our community of certified value builders who help us bring our message to you. Our advisors are experts in helping you build the value of your company. To get in touch with an advisor or learn how to become one yourself, head over to valuebuilder.com. I'm Colin Morgan, and I'll talk to you again next week. 